Remain standing, if you would, please, as we open God's Word together. 1 Kings chapter 8, 1 Kings 8 this morning. The God of the Exodus, the God of Mount Sinai, the God in the pillar of fire, uh, the God of the conquest in the land of Canaan. He has come to dwell among His people. Uh, Now that the temple is complete, and just like the tabernacle before it, the glory of the Lord has filled the house of the Lord. Uh, So that is great reason to celebrate. And I'll make reference to uh, the chapter as we go along, but we're going to read just the closing portion of this celebration, the overwhelming gladness of the people uh, in the Lord and in His anointed. So beginning at verse 54 of 1 Kings 8. Now as Solomon finished offering all this prayer and plea to the Lord, he arose from before the altar of the Lord where he had knelt with hands outstretched toward heaven. And he stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice, saying, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel, according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he spoke by Moses his servant. The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us, that he may incline our hearts to him to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his rules which he commanded our fathers. Let these words of mine, with which I have pleaded before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night. May he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people as each day requires. That all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God, there is no other. Let your heart, therefore, be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments as at this day. Then the king and all Israel with him offered sacrifice before the Lord. Solomon offered as peace offerings to the Lord 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. The same day, the king consecrated the middle of the court that was before the house of the Lord. For there he offered the burnt offering and the grain offering and the fat pieces of the peace offerings. Because the bronze altar that was before the Lord was too small to receive the burnt offering, the grain offerings, and the fat pieces of the peace offerings. So Solomon held the feast at that time, and all Israel with him, a great assembly from Labo Hamat to the brook of Egypt, before the Lord our God, seven days. On the eighth day, he sent the people away, and they blessed the king, and went to their homes joyful and glad of heart for all the goodness that the Lord had shown to David his servant and to Israel his people. Wow, what a high point uh, for the people. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord God, we do praise you for this word, a word that you have given to us by your own hand. Lord, this is the experience of our ancestors in the faith, those who have gone before us. As we see this great celebration and gladness of heart, Lord, may it infuse in us hearts of of deep gratitude and thanks to you. Lord, we do ask your help now as we consider this word. We ask that you would shape us through it, that you, Holy Spirit, would guide us in our understanding and in our applying this word to our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you're going to celebrate, then you need to get out the good food and the good drink, right? which I, it sounds somewhat cruel as I say this because it's wafting in the air as you're listening to my voice. Um, 
But we love the good food and the good drink with our celebrations. If you're going to a birthday party, you can probably expect there's going to be some good food. Or maybe at a graduation open house, wedding reception, retirement ceremony, you get in line for the food, right? In fact, if you're headed to a party and the food runs out, the people may very well run out with it. Um, no food, you know, party's over. Uh, so we're going to be uh, you know, re- rehearsing this in just a little while, how essential good food and drinks are to our, our celebration. And for King Solomon and the people of Israel, it is time to celebrate, uh, to remember this moment in history, a moment like no other. The Ark of the Covenant, the very footstool of God's throne, a symbol of His presence, His promise is brought into the temple. And it's you know, the grandeur, that the beauty of the temple structure is only dwarfed by the very presence of God that fills it. Behold, heaven in the highest heavens cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built as part of Solomon's prayer of dedication. A prayer that's acknowledging the Lord's faithfulness to David. That his son, a man of peace, would build a house for the Lord. Not because the Lord asked for one, not because he needed one, but for his name's sake as the God of Israel. And this this prayer morphs into a plea uh, for the people, on behalf of the people. The king petitions that when, not if, but when the people turn from the Lord and the curses of the covenant are upon them that God would forgive. That His grace would actually have the final word. That His loyalty would be the source of hope for His people. Lord, give ear to Your people wherever they are, whenever they call to You. Forgive and show compassion for Your great name. So that's what really takes us up to this final blessing that we've read. We're asking what's behind this celebration? What's leading up to such a great feast? And Solomon is again, he's been kneeling, offering this prayer. He again stands, faces the people, extolling the Lord's faithfulness and his promises, which are the very foundation for the call to faithfulness on the part of the people. So the Lord's faithfulness, the call to faithfulness. There are several um, points that help us understand that summary. This blessing of the people by, by blessing God. It's all, it's all connected to what has come before it in this prayer of dedication. And Solomon ends this prayer the same way that he begins. Verse 15 and verse 56. We hear, blessed be the Lord. He has given rest to His people according to all that He promised. Not one word, not one word has failed of His good promise. From what I understand, the promise keeper movement is making a comeback. Um, started in the early 90s. Many of you can remember this. I think it was Coach Bill McCartney in 1990 who had the first gathering in a, a football stadium of, of men um, calling these men to integrity based around uh, seven promises. I think I wrote them down. Yeah. Uh, promise to honor, uh, brotherhood, virtue, commitment, change-making, unity, and obedience. Over the course of the 90s, 7 million men participated uh, in one of these um, gatherings. And the next one, I think, is in Dallas in 2020, February, the next Promise Keeper event. Um, but millions of promises made, 
How many of these men have kept every one of them? Every one. Won't be in the millions, won't be in the thousands, not even the hundreds. The Lord God of Israel is the promise keeper. Our words will fail. We may or we may not see a promise all the way through, but his word is unfailing. His promises are sure. To Abraham, he would give a son, a heritage beyond number. To Moses, the personal revealing of his glory. To Joshua, protection in the conquest. To David, a house that that he would build for David. And a lineage, someone on the throne from his family that would endure forever. That's just to name a few. When the God of Israel makes a promise, it is as good as done. It is kept. And now in fulfillment of Deuteronomy 12, the people have rest. Let me read you those words from Deuteronomy 12. Almost five centuries before this feast. But when you go over the Jordan and live in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, when He gives you rest from all your enemies around so that you live in safety, then to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make His name dwell there, there you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, and your sacrifices, your tithes, the contribution that you present, and all your finest vow offerings that you vow to the Lord, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. So the people have been established in the land. They are safe under the Lord's anointed. And God Himself is in their midst. Promise fulfilled. And this rest is a, this is a holistic, full-orbed rest. Not just safe in, in a place, but safe with with Him, safe in a person. The God who does not leave, the God who does not forsake, He's come near to them, to be with them. And that's that's the goal. We mentioned this last week. For God to dwell with His people, to walk with His image bearers, to share an existence where there is worship and wonder forever. That, That starts in the garden. And we find a picture of that garden you know, with the tabernacle in the wilderness. We find another picture of it here at the temple. It just, it just keeps getting better. When the, when the fullness of time had come, we hear that infant cry as a mother holds her baby, holds Emmanuel, God with us. Now he's, he's come. He's come to walk with his people, to be with them, which should be the end, right? That's the goal. God has arrived in the flesh, walking with them. But in our sin, we have cast Him out. Destroyed the Son of God, but God is merciful and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not leave. He will not forsake. Even though His people have forsaken Him. And as we turn from Him, He will forgive. And one day very soon, that dwelling place of God will again be with man. A much bigger, much better garden. Now a city, a grand estate. Heaven and earth meeting. The glory of God and the Lamb is there with His people in worship and wonder forever. Promise kept. How do we know this? How do we be sure that God will keep this promise? He hasn't broken one yet, so that should help. 
But if you need some more evidence, the tomb of Jesus is empty. He is alive. He reigns at the Father's side this very moment. He's given us a little down payment. He's given us a guarantee of our heavenly inheritance by His Spirit in us. We're so united to Him that He dwells with us. So the rest that we long for, this safety and security and belonging, God with us, is the rest we have in Jesus. It is sure. Promise kept for the people of God, for His church. Christ is our already rest and our not yet rest in this pilgrim way of obedience to Him. So King Solomon praises the Lord for His faithfulness. He's present with His people. He pursues them. Um, I thought of a picture that we have. It was taken at the Museum of Transportation in St. Louis, and it was kind of a staged picture. It's true, but it's a, it was a staged picture where you, you could, there's a bunch of trains, and you can actually walk through some of the trains and, and walk among them. And, and so in the back of one train, uh, Katie is standing in, in the back. She's, she's Reaching for the door, the back of the train, she's kind of looking back with this sort of come and get me expression on her face. And I'm, I'm off the train. I'm, I'm in full stride with my arms outstretched saying, you know, wait, don't go. I'm coming. I'm in full pursuit of her in this picture. May He not leave us or forsake us that He may incline our hearts to Him. The Lord pursues us. He pursues His people. He pursues their hearts. He works a change that only He can. If God's people then, if God's, you know, if we're to walk in His ways, if we're to keep His commands, He must incline our hearts to Him. He must change our hearts and He must complete the good work that He has begun in us. It's His sanctifying Spirit in us that does that. You know what? He who promised is faithful and he will do it. He does not leave or forsake the work of his hands, which means that he will complete what he has started in you. What he has started in me until the day of the Lord Jesus, until our faith is made sight. We'll be like him in his presence, enjoying him forever. But he must incline our hearts, the hearts of all those that you know, family and friends. This is His sovereign and pursuing grace in our lives. And a heart that's inclined to Him, a will that is, is bent toward His will. I think of the prayer that we've been taught. Lord, Your will be done here. Lord, Your will be done in me. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is a prayer from a heart inclined to God. The heart inclined to Him wants to walk in His ways. We want everyone to know that He is God and there is no other. No other who has delivered. No other who has provided. No other who has given rest to His people than the great I Am. The God who is. So let let Solomon's word here form your prayers. Lord, give me a, a deeper love for what it is You love. Lord, incline my heart to You. It's a prayer that the Lord loves to answer. He will answer that prayer for His glory and our growth in the Lord Jesus. 
So it's the Lord's presence, His pursuit and, and, and purpose for this world that underscores this faithfulness that Solomon speaks of. After leaving uh, Egypt, seeing the Lord's power and deliverance, Moses uh, reminds the people here in Deuteronomy 4, to you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God and there is no other besides Him. So Israel saw this. The Egyptians saw this. Think of Rahab in Jericho and her conversation with the spies. She saw this. So Solomon repeats this language, reminding the people that the God of Israel is the God of all peoples on the face of the earth. His people are a kingdom of priests. That's Exodus 19. Now the church, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. We read in 1 Peter 2. We're to mediate God's love and goodness and salvation to the ends of the earth. This is the mission. That all peoples would be blessed. The glory of the Lord would be known by the seed of Abraham. Because this is the very heart of God. This is His mission. The Anglican pastor and scholar, Christopher Wright, he explains it this way. Efforts to make God known must be set within the prior framework of God's own will to be known. We are seeking to accomplish what God Himself wills to happen. We know that behind all our fumbling efforts and inadequate communication stands the supreme will of the living God, reaching out in loving self-revelation, incredibly willing to open blind eyes and reveal His glory through the treasures of the gospel delivered in the clay pots of His witnesses. So Solomon is praying this purpose. That the Lord would be known, that His, that His mission would be fulfilled in all the world. Okay? And He's doing that through us, through clay pots, by the power of His Spirit. Our daily witness to Christ, our, our hope of the gospel. You know, it's not something that, in sharing this, not something we just add on to our Christian experience. You may think, well, spending time with others is really, really hard for me. It's not really a strength. This whole idea of evangelism, not, not so much my calling or, or gifting. You know, there are others more qualified. Maybe we've thought that. Folks, if you are a Christian, then your, your witness, evangelism is a way of life. We see the sin in ourselves and our own need for a Savior and we, we see that sin in others and recognize their need for the Savior. All peoples everywhere need Jesus. They need to know that the Lord is God, that He is good, that there is no other. So not only are we commanded by Jesus to make disciples, we want to, we have to, because of the saving grace that we've been shown. So respectfully, with truth and love, we challenge the idols in ourselves and the idols in those around us. Solomon's praise of the Lord's faithfulness and moves to this call to faithfulness for the Israelites. It's really um, verse 61 through the end of the chapter. The Lord must incline the hearts of His people. He pursues them and in turn they are to pursue Him. Let your heart therefore, because there is no other God, He does not leave, does not forsake, let your heart therefore be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in His statutes and keeping His commands as at this day. Here's a call to holiness, to faithfulness on the part of God's people. A call to obedience, not obedience 
you know, in order to be saved or to gain approval from God. But it's an obedience because the people have been saved. Because they've been given rest from all their enemies, which is a familiar call. Joshua 24 is just one example. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Choose this day whom you will serve. Were the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's a call to be true, a heart wholly true to the Lord. And this is a call to every generation. Every generation must choose to follow the Lord. Just as true for the church today as it was for our ancestors in the faith. We pray that that God would incline our hearts and the hearts of our children to follow after Him. So we'd want to follow, want to obey, want to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Sometimes we'll hear, we may even say this to ourselves, well, I'm not sure that my heart is in it. My heart needs to be inclined to the Lord. It's out of my heart that I want to, to follow. And we hear that pretty strongly in the culture around us, follow after your heart. But the the response we need to hear is repent and lead your heart. Pursue holiness like this is true, like the child of God that you are by faith in Christ. Lead your heart. The one who promised is faithful to complete this work. But we pursue Him. We seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Above all else, because we cannot help it. His grace and love has captured us. I think of the blessing of God to King Solomon and the people here. Just how, how the Lord has provided for them. And what God has promised to His father David, that has come to pass. He rules with wisdom over a very strong, a very unified nation, which only begs that question, will such wisdom and blessing produce obedience? And it would, it would seem so for a time. But we know the wealth of Solomon vanishes. That his heart is wayward will ultimately turn from the Lord. From the very one he's crying out to in prayer. But God is faithful. Though his anointed leaves, he does not leave. He does not forsake his people. He'll restore the throne of David and build up, reconstitute a people over which the son of David may rule. Now we hear the angel speaking to young Mary in Luke chapter 1. Do not be afraid, Mary. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. With God, promise made is promise kept. The promise of David is kept with the rise of Solomon And the house that he builds, yes. The promise to David is kept with Jesus and the house he builds, yes and amen. Jesus is the one greater than Solomon. The very incarnation of wisdom. And that tension that's before Solomon, that tension of of wisdom and, and obedience that he faces, that he ultimately faced and failed, That is gone with Jesus. And Hebrews tells us that though he was a son, Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. suffered. Wisdom and and obedience are are in perfect harmony for this son of David. 
the anointed of God. So the call to fruitfulness, it includes obedience. It also includes sacrifice. Sacrifices made by uh, Solomon, the people here, just astounding as we uh, read those numbers. The altar outside the temple wasn't big enough to take on all of these uh, sacrifices. So they had to consecrate and sacrifice more to consecrate a portion of the court outside the temple. Uh, burnt offerings to do that. Burnt offerings for uh, consecration. Uh, I'll describe more uh, in detail in Leviticus. Um, the peace offerings or the fellowship offerings of the people. This, this is where the numbers really start to add up. Because it's the people who are, are helping with this sacrifice. They're the ones sharing in these sacrifices. And of course, anytime you have a number this size, um, it's always going to spark debate. Some will say it's exaggerated, just couldn't be, it's just too much. And this is a lot of animals. This is a lot of blood. But given the, given the context, the support of the Bible itself, very high credibility to these numbers. We find the same number in 2 Chronicles 7. And considering how um, selective the chronicler needs to be, that's a big deal. When we consider the, the number of people who would have been at this dedication, I mean, they're coming from points that are the farthest north in the kingdom to the farthest south in the kingdom to be a part of this celebration. And then the length of this dedication, the length of the feast, the Feast of Tabernacles actually started the week before, and then there's another week we read of sacrifice and feasting. And so this is a festival of historic proportions uh, that we find here. Um, so the eighth day, verse 66 that we read, that's the day after the second week of seven. Uh, so the people are really heading home after about 15 days of, uh, since, or since this celebration started. But a lot of sacrifice, and it sends a very powerful message. The blood, the fat portions are offered to God, and then the, the rest of the meat is shared by the family that's offering uh, this sacrifice with the priests, showing that they are at peace with God. That they were in fellowship with Him. That the God who, who is near, that the cloud of His presence filling that temple is eating with them. But there has to be a sacrifice. Blood spilled for the Lord to say, you are restored to Me. You are covered. Be at peace. And then more blood is spilled. Be at peace. More blood. Be at peace. More blood. Be at peace. Amazing. The grace, the mercy of the God of Israel. With every sacrifice, the people are covered and enjoy that sweet communion with Him. You know, it's just fascinating. If we were to take just the number of these sacrifices in verse 63, add them together, you get 144,000. Is that... Is that number? Have you read that anywhere else? Some of you are shaking your heads. If you read Revelation 7, that number is given as the, as the number of, of God's elect, those sealed by Him for eternity. Who's actually included in that, that number is a whole nother study. Um, but if we follow in Revelation 7, John sees a multitude from every nation robed in white, and they're crying out to God, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And then John hears a voice. Do you know who these are that are clothed in white? John says, well, sir, you know. These are the ones washed or who have 
washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So before the throne of God, there is enough blood shed to wash, to cover all of the redeemed. Blood not from 144,000 sacrifices, but the blood of one sacrifice. One lamb offered in the presence of God on their behalf. You and I have peace with God. We have sweet fellowship by the blood of that lamb, the blood of Jesus. So he was the living temple consecrated by his own blood. Without the shedding of blood, we read there is no forgiveness of sins. Our blood sacrifice has been made. But there, but there also is no worship without sacrifice. When we worship, there is still sacrifice, not an animal sacrifice. Now our worship, we bring, we bring the best. We bring our first fruits to the Lord. All that we are, all that we have. Our time, our talents, our, our treasures. We have nothing apart from God. And so we now give out of love. We give out of gratitude to Jesus whose sacrifice makes all of these little sacrifices, all these offerings acceptable. Pleasing to God. The blood's been shed. It covers all of God's people. Be at peace. And offer your sacrifice out of praise. Which is the last thing we need to see in this call to faithfulness. This is, this is a high point, maybe the high point in the history of Israel. Um, it's a picture of a, a people who are happy, joy-filled. They are united under Solomon's rule, a wise king. And so, in unity, they give praise and thanksgiving to God uh, for His goodness. We see them honoring Solomon, the Lord's anointed, for His honor of the Lord. And it won't be long before they go back to their tents resentful and angry under the oppression of, of the rule of Solomon's son, but for now they are going to their tents rejoicing with hearts full of gladness. Look at what the Lord has done. Look at His faithfulness to David. Look at the wisdom of His son. And this is it. It's time to celebrate. One commentator said that people left this dedication with the volume turned all the way up. They left with joy, with thanksgiving. It got me thinking about how we leave this place on a Sunday morning. How do you leave this place after worship on Sunday? Do we leave with hearts full of the grace of God, with gladness of heart, offering Him praise and the thanks that He deserves? Or do we leave and we're right back to thinking about what we thought about before, right back to what we're distracted with, right back to what may truly be the gods we're worshiping? We should go with hearts of gladness, gratitude, and, and a gratitude that's centered around the Lord's anointed. He is all glorious. He has worked salvation for us. So let's celebrate, not just when we come through these doors, but also when we leave, when we go to our tents. Let's celebrate. Good food and drink, it's essential to our celebration. The people feasted in communion, celebration of God's goodness. I was thinking how an event like this would really unify them as God's people. Unify them under the leadership of Solomon. Our gatherings, our meals together should be unifying for us. It shows that we're part of one body, that we have a, a unified purpose to worship, to serve together, 
We're going to enjoy that today in just a, a few minutes. Let me tell you, we, we can eat a meal anywhere. Probably in a lot fancier places than the basement of this church. But we get to eat together with God's people, with the body of Christ, reminding each other of His faithfulness. When that can be hard to see. We need that. It's true for the first pilgrims to this land. They offer a feast of, of thanksgiving to God for His goodness, for His provision at a time when that would have been very hard to see. I want to read to you a few sentences. What we believe is the first um, published account of what took place uh, from one of the um, settlers there wrote a letter back to a friend in England. And this is what it said. Our corn did prove well, and God be praised. We had a good increase of Indian corn and our barley indifferent good, but our peas not worth the gathering, for we feared they were too late sown. They came up very well in blossom, but the sun parched them in the blossom. Our harvest being gotten in, our governor sent four men unfouling, that so we might, after a special manner, rejoice together after we had gathered the fruit of our labors. They four, in one day, killed as much fowl as, with a little help beside, served the company for almost a week. At which time, amongst other recreations, we exercised our arms, firearms. Many of the Indians among, coming amongst us, and among the rest, their greatest king, Massasoit, uh, with some ninety men, whom for three days we entertained and feasted. And they went out and killed five deer, which they brought to the plantation and bestowed on our governor and upon the captain and the others. And although it be not always so plentiful as it was at this time with us, yet by the goodness of God, we are so far from want that we often wish you partakers of our plenty. Isn't that amazing? You know, a group of people had lost half of those who made that original, faced hardship, sickness, starvation, and yet they recognize God's goodness. They give Him thanks. Church family, do we not have more reason to give thanks and praise to God than Israel at the height of their prosperity? We do. We really, really do. We don't have more reason to celebrate and give thanks than ever before. Our sins of yesterday, the sins of today, and tomorrow, every day, have been covered by the blood of Christ. Not with the blood of 100,000 sheep, but the sacrifice of one Passover lamb who died and now lives again. Now we can have peace and sweet fellowship with our God. Our King reigns. Every promise that He has made is yes and amen in Jesus. That all peoples of the nation, all people of the nations know now that the Lord is God. And one day they will come and they will bring their honor and tribute into the city of our God. Into that place of rest and gladness. We have much to be thankful for and much to celebrate. Let's pray. Lord, we do give you thanks. Forgive us when our thanks is muffled and trite whisked away by the cares of this world. Lord, You who promise You are faithful. You do not leave. You do not forsake. We can be absolutely sure of this. More sure than we're even present here this morning. More sure than we know of anything else. That You are near. That You have loved us with an everlasting love. That You delight in us. Lord, may that delight just overflow 
from us to each other. May our time together be encouraging of sweet fellowship and communion with one another because we are in communion with you, our God. We pray this in Jesus' name, for his sake. Amen.